Blog Talk Radio. Uh oh, guess what day it is? Julie. Huh? Julie. Huh? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. Huh? What day is it, Mike? Huh? Woohoo! Listen, guess what today is? Listen, guess what today is? It's hump day. Hump day! Woohoo! <laughs> it's hump day. Hump day! Woohoo! <laughs> Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is Hump Day. It is also Resistance Wednesday, where we resist the most stupidest economic and foreign policy, well, since the uh, pre, since uh, the Biden years, since, I guess since the Obama years. So we'll, so this show we're going to do quite a few things. I'm going to have my good friend JD Johannes who has worked with America's PAC, America's Majority Foundation, but he's also the president of Bee Creek and has quite a few private sector clients. He'll explain more of that later. At the end of the hour, Dr. Larry and I will talk uh, Joe Biden's big adventure in Europe, where, I don't know about you, uh, folks, it really gives me warm comfort to know that you have a president who truly needs three by five cards just to answer questions that might pop up even when he's talking to foreign leaders uh, how about you jd does that give you a nice warm feeling of confidence i have zero confidence in most politicians abilities to steer anything yeah well yeah, yeah absolutely right but i just I, i'm sitting you know, ever so often, you get reminded that Joe Biden is not the sharpest tool in the box and certainly not the most quickest on his feet. Uh, but, but I did, yeah. But, okay, if you wanted the, the cheap shot would be, it's like, the cheap shot would be, it's like, <clears throat> so how many of those are three by five cards you plagiarized from some other politician? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is true. That's the cheap shot. <laughs> That's the cheap shot. How you doing? Yeah. How you doing, Tom? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I mean, that's like I said, I've been busy all day. I was out in Utah last week uh, on a secret meeting of, of white white wing conspirators, uh, who I, like I said, I cannot disclose the location or the meeting, or I would have to basically, well, eliminate you and eliminate anybody who I would tell. Right. Because we're a bunch, like, but I gotta say, it was a secret right wing conspiracy. Continue our right wing conspiracies to save America. Uh, but I, I tell you, conspiracy. Conspiracy, yes. Uh, but actually, like I say, it's an interesting to me because I like I say, I got to meet a lot of people across the uh, country. You know, people who you would recognize rather quickly. You know, who you would recognize. And others in the political game would recognize, and uh, it's actually kind of funny because one of them was on uh, Barney and Company this morning. I'm saying, "Oh yeah, I just," I told my wife, "I said, yo, you know, I, you know, I, I, I broke bread with that particular individual who who we're now watching on TV." 
So, <laughs> so it was. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, it was that. It was. It was interesting. And it was a beautiful place, Park City. I mean, it's too bad it was one of those in and out type of meetings, where basically I came in like Wednesday, uh, and then you know, I mean, Wednesday nights we had the meeting. Thursday, and I had to basically leave. You know. Uh, Friday mornings. I really didn't get a chance to spend a whole lot of time there, but it's beautiful. And I know you've been out west quite a bit. Oh, uh, you, so. you know I love the west. You yeah, spend a lot of time in Utah uh, doing a lot of canyoneering and great mountain climbing out there. And, you know, one of the main things, you know, Utah, you know, you know, you know, so I do a lot of mountain climbing in Colorado as well. <clears throat> the amazing thing about wow. Utah is how unexplored it is compared to Colorado. Hmm. Uh, you go climbing in Colorado, and, I mean, there's schematic maps on how to do this cliff, how to do this mountain. We have no yeah. idea how many awesome climbs there are in Utah because it's just starting to get discovered in so many ways, and it's beautiful. I mean, I, the best description hmm. I've ever heard yeah. of uh, the, the deserts of Utah was, to, it's like it's like you're on, it's like looking at a, a sci-fi movie, but you're there standing in it. It's how beautiful it is everywhere yeah. in Utah, every scape, yes. Everywhere. I mean, it's, like I said, I was – it's been a long time since I've been in, the, in Utah uh, other than driving I me. Mean, I, I take it back. I did drive through there last uh, – you know, a while you know, last year to go see – you know, visit my daughter and bring back the cats, but beyond that, uh, you know, but beyond that, being in Salt Lake City itself, it's been a long, long time for, like, uh, it was in my previous careers. Uh, so, okay, first of all, number one, before we go any further, you know, uh, you, know, look, you know, you work with me, you've got Bee Creek, but you also got a lot of private sector uh, clients. So why don't you kind of talk very briefly yeah, yeah, yeah. About, well, you know, about that side of yeah. business? Yeah, I'm well known and easily found for uh, polling uh, in, in politics, and find my election prediction results on 538 and other places from V Creek. Uh, but also, you know, the accuracy and the precision of that has lent itself to a lot of work in the private sector. Um, and for different types of you know, big picture financial services, big companies that are wanting to, um, predicting the future is the wrong word, but trying to see where some big trends could be going. And, you know, and look for maybe some signposts about where big uh, shifts in lifestyle, demographic changes, uh, the way humans are living their lives and what they want out of their lives are going. And that all ties into, you know, big macroeconomic trends, uh, big, big social trends. And, you know, that, that all of that become then you know, a lot of what goes into the inputs of what makes up a political campaign. So it all becomes very interrelated, you know, whether it's, you know, on the you know, financial, economic, uh, social, or political. They all kind of feed into each other because the common denominator is that the decision makers are all individual human beings. And yeah. that is well, what yeah. the economy yeah. is always made of, is what humans deciding what they're going to do with their resources. Yeah. Well, you know, so, you know that sounds like, because Thompson has always stated, you know, it's always about, economics is about study of scarcity at the time. And, and you absolutely, and to me, I've always said, you know, the one aspect about economics is that 
you're trying to take a mathematical formulation to try to determine what people will actually predict what people will actually do. And people don't always, yeah, and people don't always necessarily go by the mathematics that you put together. That's right. You know, there's a couple of different you know, things I call them. You know, one of them I talk about is uh, the Maslow trade. Okay. And you will treat a lot of humans, a lot of people, especially in Western developed countries will trade uh, status, identity, um, meaning and purpose. They'll trade money for those things because that's more valuable to them once, especially once they get above a certain income yeah. threshold, they'll definitely do that. And that's one of the big things, you know, I, you know, really studying and, you know, try and drilling down deep into is those, those Maslow trades, especially after COVID, you know, some you saw in some of my polling, you know, you, yep. in, you got to yeah, see absolutely. some of this is that during COVID identity, purpose, meaning, especially meaning and purpose became very important for a lot of people. And what's changing now in this era where we're seeing, you know, inflation tick up, where we're seeing crime tick up, where we're seeing a lot of international global uncertainty. We're seeing a little bit of the decline now in, you know, meaning and purpose that we had at the height of COVID and people are becoming slightly more economically oriented because, well, things are getting more expensive, okay? Now, crime is a destabilizing force. Even though there's a lot of job openings, uh, there's a lot of people, you know, who just left the labor force permanently out of COVID. A lot of instability in the world because the, a lot of countries that did not have the, the cushion. Okay, that the West has followed our same lockdown policies and got wiped out. Well, uh, Colombia, okay, would be an example of a country like that. They just got wiped out by COVID because they followed lockdown policies that they did not have the uh, the margin of error to deal with. Yeah, and so we're seeing the, yeah. this instability is causing people to really, you know, take a different look at how they want to live their lives, what they want to be prepared for, and how, and how they expect to live their life as well. But that's just at the yeah. macro scale. Like Sherlock Holmes says, you know, uh, uh, yeah. you know, a group of people are mathematical certainty, but an individual is an absolute mystery. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, hold on. This is Tom Donaldson here the Donaldson Files and the Bastard News Radio Network. And uh, I'm with my special guest, uh, J.D. Johannes, here on Resistance Wednesday. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. 
Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome back to the Johnson Files. I'm with my special guest, uh, J.D. Johannes of Bee Creek at the end of the hour. Uh, Dr. Larry will be joining us to talk about uh, the, you know, Biden's trip to Europe. And we'll try to dissect that. And then later on the Dr. Larry Resistance Hour with Tom, uh, Tim Hugo, uh, a former House of Delegate representative in the state of and the state of Virginia will be talking Virginia politics for 2021. Okay. You know, we kind of off the air. We were talking very briefly because, well, like I said, you got a lot of these private sector, you know, uh, you know, you got private sector of clients of yours. And so, look, and there are two areas you and I were talking about you know, earlier this afternoon as part of our you know, joint meetings. And one was crime, and the other one was the the, the Fed's uh, comment. So. Kind of first of all, summarize what Jerome Powell said today, and you know what? How do you interpret this going forward? Yeah, you know, so the Federal Reserve Board had a two-day meeting that just wrapped up, and Chairman Powell uh, came out and spoke a little bit cryptically to the media, as they always do. They never come out with a straight answer. But the key takeaway from it, I think. And you're reading the Fox Business and CNBC here is the direct quote that inflation could be, quote, higher and more persistent, okay, obviously than expected. Now, they've talked a lot about the inflation being transitory. We're just seeing an uptick due to uh, supply chain issues, you know, started, they got started in the pandemic, okay, and all the uh, cash infusions and the openings. So we're just having a whole crush of demand and supply has not caught up. Um, one of the things I talk about, Tom, you've heard me say this a bunch of times, you know, financial yes. finance and economics is not physics because humans can make different decisions and conditions change. You know, it's never the exact same conditions over and over again. The one thing that is pretty close to gravity in finance and economics is when the money supply starts far outstripping uh, productivity and uh, goods. And that's what we are seeing right here. And it was not a surprise to us. We talked about this as far, you know, geez, this time last year, if not earlier, that yeah, when exactly. there's so much pro- productivity down, uh, all the all the different you know, uh, bailout plans, support plans, loans that would be forgiven, unemployment, everything, okay? And that's not a judgment on whether that was a good idea or a bad idea. It's just a fact, okay, is when you put more money into the system without an increase in productivity, your, your odds of having inflation are incredibly high. And that's what we're experiencing now. And until productivity really catches up, you know, and, you know, we have really, you know, uptick in productivity, a lot more jobs being created on the, on the 
on the product creation side, we're going to have inflation. Now, here's another little thing that's also happening that for everybody to keep aware of if you're paying attention to finance, the markets, and the economy, is in the past month or two, there has states have reopened and everything's really getting back to normal again and businesses are reopening. We're seeing a shift in consumer purchases from products to experiences, okay? So you think about it a year ago, you know, if you, you had an itch to do something, you couldn't do it. Okay, in a lot of places, there just wasn't much to do in a lot of places, uh, or a lot of people they, you know, just weren't doing things. Uh, so, but people would buy, they'd buy stuff. Okay, so you buy something just to just to, you could go to the store and you could buy something at Target. Target had a banner year last year. Okay, a lot of those big companies did. Now we're seeing a shift from products back to uh, services and experiences. More money flowing into that. So that will, you know, as you're looking at the inflation headlines on products, also keep in mind now that airfares are going up, okay? Hotel rental rates are going up. Uh, you know, it's like during the pandemic, Tom, as you know, I kept traveling for a bunch of different reasons and didn't, yeah. you know, just kept going, okay? Uh, you know, I remember some, you know, you know, just ridiculously cheap flights, you know, stay at a hotel, dinner, you know, is amazingly cheap in some places, you know, just because they just wanted the business. They're just happy to have some income, okay? Now that that on the demand side is going up, okay, head, you know, headline inflation is going to shift uh, in how it's captured a little bit. So they'll take the pressure off production of goods, but shift it onto the price increases for services as well. But still, the root cause of this is, you know, a lot of money coming into the system without a you know increase in productivity. And if you know, it's reading something even funnier is there's a hedge fund trader. He's actually trolling people with this one. Uh, Paul Tudor Jones said, "Oh yeah, if the, if the Fed says you know that inflation is going to continue, then I'm going all in on the inflation bed of a basket of commodities, et cetera." And I'm like, Shh. like you know, and you know a dude like him has been doing that. Oh, I don't know, nine months ago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, because I was talking with you know, all of my, you know, everything on the financial services side guys goes like, yeah, inflate, you need to keep an eye on this for sure because this can definitely happen as well. Uh, but the next yeah. level I'm talking with a lot of clients is the instability caused by, uh, you know, you talk about the lockdowns and COVID and all the policies leading to inflation. Uh, there's a lot of instability in major cities caused by a lot of crime. A lot of violent crime. We will look, Tom, as we were looking at the stats yeah, uh, from the FBI's exactly, headline yeah. stats. Okay, that feeds into an instability, you know. And I think the best summary sentence is out of a New York Times article for, uh, from uh, about two months ago. You know, here's what the New York Times Times article says: "Quote: The big increase in murder rates in the United States in 2020 has carried over to 2021." A sample of 37 cities, data available for the first three months of this year, shows murder up 18% relative to the same period last year. And so, we, and, we'll yeah, the, yeah. and the crime yeah. stats yeah. that creates a sense of fear and instability that gets fed into the economic expectations. Actually, you know, here's the thing. There are two things I because you know, because I you know every time I have a you know monthly meeting with a financial planner and my finance, and and we get talking about you know how do you protect yourself financially in the future? And I said, you know, the thing that I look at 
is I'm also looking at the policies. And I don't see, you know, if, if I, for example, saw growth-oriented bond where we're keeping, you know, instead, instead of sending trillions of dollars out in infrastructure, we're focusing our spending and trying to keep it in line. If I'm looking at, let's say, either keeping the tax rates where they are or maybe even lower in some of those, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to sit back and say, you know what, I, I got a little bit of confidence this thing will blow up and it may be transitory inflation. But when you see increased capital gains, increased Increase corporate. You got literally um, international an agreement with all of your fellow international uh, countries where we now have a minimal tax that you can't go below. I mean, in effect, they're trying to make sure that we no longer have a competitive, you know, we can no longer compete on taxes. We're going to keep them artificially high. You know, cartel of taxation might be a way. Then I start getting nervous, and that's exactly what I'm seeing. And that's why I see, to me, the inflation issue becomes serious because of the policies impact that are being impact being proposed on a micro business. You know, what do your clients say to something like that? Yeah, it's, it's instability, okay? If you're looking at the big, big, big picture, okay, there's always different vari- – in anything the government ever does, there's always winners, there's always losers, right, Okay. There's right, always exactly. going to be someone this is a good policy for and someone it's a bad policy for. The big picture effect, though, is uncertainty, instability, okay, means you, are you really want to sure you make, want to make this investment. Are you really sure you don't know what to do? It's harder to move forward with confidence if you don't know uh, the tax implications, Okay. If you don't know the yeah you know, the policy implications, the business plan implications of what the government is doing, when you're talking about you know a major private equity firm or a company that's thinking about hey maybe we go public via a SPAC or an IPO or a big company privately held or publicly traded that's thinking about big investments. And if there's uncertainty in the tax code, if there's uncertainty in regulation, you you don't move with confidence. And that little bit of slowdown, okay, but it's always you think, it's a little bit of slowdown. Yeah, that's trillions of dollars slowing down. That has a big impact that ripples through the economy down to affecting people's lives. That gets down to pay raises benefits packages. That's everything that ripples down, that uncertainty touches down into individual lives. And that is the thing that I look at, you know, the three things I'm looking at here is, you know, is the inflation to, you know, the, you know, the, the, the instability yeah. caused by crime, and three, the instability, the policy instability and the policy uncertainty and the policy risk, really, is the, way to, the term to use, of not knowing what the, government, the federal government is going to do next. And, you know, if you're going to be on the winning side or the losing side of some of these new policies. Yeah. Well, here's the, let's go back to the crime real quickly before we take the next break. Uh, and if you can stay on through, let's say, for a couple more minutes after the break, I would love it. Because last week we had a, you know, you know, we had a, you know, several guests talking about, you know, minorities, how they're, you know, working with minorities, uh, businesses. Uh, we have a good friend, Jim Eccles, and 
uh, people from the Center for American Experiment. And one of those individuals said, you know, you really want to know to do something for growth in, you know, these, in these communities? Crime. Protect their business. Protect their lives. Then they will have the predictability of knowing that they can keep their businesses open without getting robbed or murdered. He said, that's a good start. And it's a point that you just made. Um, and I want to kind of follow very quickly on that before uh, we move on to our next guest. Uh, after this quick break, this is Tom Donson here with the Donson Piles and the Bachelor News Radio Network. You might know me. I'm 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in the six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger is too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Yeah, this is Tom Dawson here. The Dawson Files, don't forget you can listen to this show and other shows on our podcast on the following. Bachelor News, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. You can listen to this podcast at your convenience. Uh, we do have a schedule, so you know, every day, at least two or three times a day, you can listen to the Donaldson Files on some of our great shows, including this particular show. Okay, let's very briefly, we got Dr. Larry's going to be joining us very quickly, uh, but I wanted to kind of follow up with this crime aspect of as well, uh, you know, I was just say what this guy said last week was like brilliant. He said you want to you want to help people, you know, want to help these businesses in the inner city, protect them, and I think that's a again this kind of adds on to the you know the uncertainty that you talk about. You know, you know where do you actually place your businesses? Right, go ahead, JD. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, just looking here, the uh, you know the FBI uh, crime stats. I got the spreadsheet here in front of me. There's, you know, Arizona's on top. So let's look at Phoenix. Okay, uh, you know, violent crime in Phoenix is up. Murder is up. Okay, robbery is up. Now here's the important distinction here. Robbery is when a person would come into a business or any other place and you know, forcibly rob you okay that's all you know, robbery you know we think of it as armed robbery or threatening robbery or something like that okay <clears throat> even just a small increase in that you know is a huge disincentive to owning a retail business a customer facing business aggravated assault uh, there were 2,000 more aggravated assaults in Phoenix in 2020 than in 2019. So that's 2,000 people whose lives just got up ended completely, okay? Now, there were 51,000 property crimes in Phoenix, 7,000 burglaries. That's a something that's been stolen from while either home while nobody was in it or business that was stolen from while nobody was in it, okay? Larceny theft shoplifting and some other things, 36,000 incidences. And that instability, just, you know, the, some of those things that are up there in Phoenix with, you know, 2,000 more violent crimes, like I said, that's 2,000 people's lives that have just been yeah. devastated and upended. Well, you know, here's a good way to look at it because, okay, 
you know, there's about, like I said, I'm looking at it, it's like 150 robberies. That means, in fact, every other day there was one more business that was robbed, one more yeah. over last year. And if you look at the assault, that means six people a day were assaulted on a daily basis more than last year. You know, that's, and when you can start combining those kinds of numbers, it's like, wow. You know, you know it, it's an amazing aspect. How do you build, for example, urban centers or suburban businesses? Where do you go? Because a lot of these are the smaller businesses as well. Because with the case mm-hmm. of Amazon, you know, you can just simply call up and say, hey, uh, you know, just uh, send it to me via, via truck. Uh, you know, you don't even have to get out of your house to get that. But, you know, but the mom and pops, you know, you, you, know, the, you know, it's a physical. You have to walk down, knock on the door, and say, you know, I'd like to come in and go buy something from you. Uh, big difference. Huge difference. Huge difference. And that instability uh, will be a fact if this trend continues. You know, if this if this is not transitory, okay. If this crime is not transitory. If it's, you know, it starts. It stays this level, goes up, and can or continues to slowly increase. That will have a serious impact on individual. So many individuals' lives. Just as you did the numbers there. But then we talk about, you know, like for me, if we're, you know, working at, you know, on the finance side and the economic side, that's a huge drag, okay? That's a huge economic drag when you multiply that effect. out. So we're just looking at one city, big city, just one city, Phoenix, okay? Multiply that by the top 50 markets, okay? Multiply that across yeah. the country. That becomes a, a huge instability drag on the economy, so that impacts everybody and devastates people's lives. Yeah. All right. Like I said, thank you very much, uh, JD. Uh, I want to kind of thank you for coming on the air at the last minute. And and, and we uh, we got Dr. Larry is going to be joining us very shortly. In fact, uh, Dr. Larry, your mic is now officially uh, open. Uh, but before we uh, you know, let uh, JD go and before we start talking. Uh, Biden's marvelous adventures in Europe. Uh, I don't know if you caught any of this conversation and if you had any thoughts about, uh, you know, inflation, crime, and in- uncertainty and instability. Dr. Larry. Um, I, I just caught, <clears throat> excuse me, the last, uh, the last couple of sentences. Uh, I'm afraid that I'm not qualified to <laughs> respond to your challenge. Okay. All right. Well, listen, I want to again uh, thank you, uh, uh, J.D., and we'll have to have you back on for a longer period of time. Uh, Appreciate it. All right. Good to talk with you, Tom. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Larry, uh, um, your first impressions on uh, uh, Joe Biden's marvelous adventures in Europe. Uh, if you had an, an impression, what would be that first impression? All talk and no do. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a pretty good short and sweet summary. All right, let me <laughs> ask you a question. <laughs> well, let me let me ask, let me put it in this capacity: If somebody would say to you, "What happened policy-wise uh, in the G7?" What would be your answer? 
if somebody said to you, what did Joe Biden accomplish? Well, what Joe Biden apparently uh, was interested in in doing was uh, getting in in uh, in tune and in favor with all the boys, and uh, I guess maybe he accomplished that. Uh, how how much good that does uh, U.S. or anything else in the world, I think is highly questionable, but. Um, He's uh, he's now one of the boys, and um, that's of course um, uh, an important thing in uh, in the life and in times of uh, of a man like that. <clears throat> uh, unfortunately, yeah. he's uh, he's the president, and uh, we expected a little bit more than uh, a good boy, uh, you know sitting around the fire and talking about uh, uh, stupid things. Well, you know, here's the thing. Because the thing that came to my mind is, like, is, well, he's not Trump. That's essentially it. And when we had, like, Lauren Bison last night who thought, you know, this was wonderful that once again America has joined the rest of the world, and she kind of put the left-wing spin on it. But I kind of, I'm lying like you, is, okay, so what? I mean, you know, what else are we going to do? I mean, I tell you the truth. I was somewhat perplexed. I mean, first of all, number one, all of these people have been vaccinated. And yeah, and then they were with the masks. Yeah. Yeah, they're running around with masks and doing the uh, you know, bump with the elbows. And I'm like, you know, you know, to me, a real leader is, you know, the one time would have, the number one time would have seen, would love to have seen simply a situation where, okay, shake hands. Yeah. You know, look the guy, you know, let's shake hands. Let's try acting like, you know, the world is returned back to normal. And, you know, that to me was the first lesson I got out of it, is that they're still treating this as if the world's not back to normal. That the, you know, that we're not, you know, that this, you know, the virus is on the down wane, but it's still, you know, we're still high noon with the virus. And you would think with everybody vaccinated, in the case of Boris Johnson, with natural immunity already proposed, that, that was my feeling. Well, I think there there could have been um, a subtle political angle to that as well. Uh, you know, Europeans in general got uh, used to America uh, signing the check every time anything came up, and um, they realized that. Uh, the uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The mask uh, signified uh, that they were still in serious trouble, and and uh, so therefore <clears throat> they were very interested if uh, if the new president of the United States would pick up the old uh, uh, challenge of uh, funding uh, anything that uh, the Europeans really wanted uh, badly. And uh, and he didn't disappoint either uh, in uh, in a number of ways, uh, but particularly uh, there's a lot. There was a strong feeling, according to some of the uh, uh, observers, that uh, there was the emphasis that uh, his predecessor had put on. Uh, every on the uh, members of NATO picking up their share of the of their own defense, 
that that was uh, now back. Uh, it was back back in the on the table as being uh, maybe a, a, a doable uh, event for or a result for uh, certainly some of the some of the European countries and particularly France and uh, Italy. Then uh, that was, <clears throat> excuse me, that was one of the um, one of the possible outcomes. Another one was uh, this new uh, tax that uh, that he and his uh, Treasury Secretary are trying to uh, promote of uh, the uh, I guess you would call it the success tax. Uh, 10%, if you make over 10% of your profit in in your business, you then have to pay a 15%. Uh, well, they haven't actually nailed down the, the amount, but the the rumor is 15% uh, surtax, um, and so on. I mean, it's 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 just it's 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 not only humiliating; it's uh, it's really dangerous. Well, here's the thing. Let's follow up on that because to me, you know, this challenges you know, you know, you know, people like to say, you know, what does the first American first mean? Well, one aspect to me is that we have sovereignty over our own tax policies. We essentially were are surrendering sovereignty of our tax policies uh, to this, you know, to the pretty much internationally speaking. You know, we're basically putting a floor on what taxes are going to be. We're basically telling. You know, it's a cartel taxation. I mean, if you and I privately set up a cartel, which we you know put together, uh, it would be illegal. But that's essentially what they're doing, and they're basically setting policy internationally that should be uh, responsible for sovereign governments to decide. If we want to lower our taxes, so be it. Let's lower our taxes. If these uh, the Europeans don't want to compete, uh, that's their problem. And that's what they're essentially attempting to do is to keep the competition from actually happening. And if you need the competition from taxation, you're also talking about the tax uh, keeping competition on businesses and innovation. Uh, and it's like keeping up with the Joneses, only that now we're going to be telling the Joneses, well, don't worry about keeping up with us because we're not going to be moving any forward anytime soon. Uh, this is a good example of what America first uh, versus, let's say, the internationalism of uh, the Biden administration. I guess, if you want to put it in those words, your thoughts. Well, it's even worse than that. Um, you know, as Ronald Reagan always said, the the, pe- the only people who should be able to uh, tax Americans are Americans. And in this case, you've got uh, uh, an international tribunal that actually has no uh, uh, electable, it's not elected by anybody, and um, they are setting the uh, rules for uh, Americans uh, uh, as well as everybody else, but uh, for Americans' uh, tax, taxing policy on the one hand, and on the other hand, the uh, who, where, who, who, who um, what com- country has most of the uh, big uh, multinational co- uh, companies that uh, that they're talking about. Well, guess what? It's us. 
we're the ones that have have those kind of uh, uh, multinationals. So, uh, you know, this is a way to uh, to uh, not, as you say eliminate competition from uh, not only from uh, uh, outside the uh, the uh, G7, but actually from outside the United States. So, I mean, it's just it's so it's so it's it, 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 words just practically fail us to uh, try to explain how stupid this is and how hurtful yeah, it is to, to America. Yeah. Now, hold on there, Tom. This is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Pilot Channel, the Bachelor News Radio Network. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse! Go, guys! Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, Jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys. Did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Donaldson Files and the Bastion News Radio Network. Uh, don't forget, you can see, listen to this show and other great shows on the Bachelor News Radio Network on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. You can get any of our shows at any time. Uh, just look at the schedule, and you can listen to our show uh, and also listen to the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom, which will be following this show. And we do have a special guest, Tim Hugo, who is a longtime Virginia politician, just got finished running for the lieutenant governor's race, and he'll give us a tip on what's going on in the state of Virginia and and the uh, elections thereof. All right, now back to what we were talking about, uh, you know, Joe Biden's marvelous adventures in Europe. And I, I, I kind of made this comment earlier, and I want to get back to the tax issue, but Earlier, does it really give you a nice, warm feeling and confidence to know that your president basically has to bring three by five cards uh, to make sure he <laughs> says what needs to be said? <laughs> yes. Hello, Tom. Yes. Hello. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And so. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm like I said, it, it, but let's go back to it because this is, to me is a very interesting topic because it talks. I mean, like I said, we get in these conversations about America first. You know, what does it mean? You know, how is it instituted in policies? And this is a very good example. This the, the international the tax deal that Janet Yellen and Biden are trying to get through. They're in effect trying to make sure. The two things, number one, we can't lower our taxes easily here in the United States. And two, we're not going to be competing on tax policies with the rest of the world. We're, in effect, going to have a cartel taxation. 
And if somebody ever said, you know, this is to me is a classic example of, you know, the difference, maybe the difference between, let's say, a Donald Trump who wouldn't even thought about giving the Europeans a veto power over our tax policies and Joe Biden, who is essentially trying to negotiate exactly that. Yeah, it's, it, it's not it's 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 not only America first; it's America last, because we're going to yeah. end up paying paying the biggest price if they if they ever got that through. The the only good thing about it may be that um, if the uh, Senate stands up on its hind legs and demands that um, this uh, agreement be uh, categorized as a treaty that has to have the uh, advice and consent of the Senate, then uh, it does go to uh, legislation, legislators and, and, in, and, um, and, and of course, then uh, it is a good chance that it would never get through uh, just as, uh, as uh, Obama's uh, uh, treaty so a non treaty with uh, the Iranians didn't get didn't, it, it would not have gotten through. The problem, of course, is that they're going to try to use the same gambit with this that uh, Obama used, and uh, and who knows whether they'll get away with it or not. But uh, well, yeah, th- this is insanity. This is just absolutely well, it, insanity. Well, it's not insanity, but it goes back to the Paris Agreement. Again, we're back into the Paris Agreement with uh, the climate, uh, yeah. the Paris Accord on climate. And, and again, fan this for should that. be a treaty. Yeah, that should have been a treaty. This is one of those things you sit back, even to this day, I would say, you know, in the next Congress, if we went back to the Senate, if Mitch McConnell doesn't go back and say, you know what, you have to submit this as a treaty, uh, and you got to submit all of these things as treaties. If you don't, you know, that's, you know it's null and void. And you're absolutely right. But I mean, this is a, another good example, again, you know, allowing domestic policies and the choices of our individual people to be dictated through international agreements, irrespective of whether or not, A, it's good for America, and whether or not Americans have a chance to sit back and say, yeah, this sounds like a wonderful idea, this sounds like a bad idea. I mean, we're not even involved in the decision-making process. Well, and and the the decision as to whether they can get away with it or not, uh, ultimately, I presume, would have to go to the Supreme Court uh, because that's yeah. that's the uh, you know the old uh, uh, that's the only real uh, defense that uh, that the, the uh, administration I mean that the Congress would have would would be to go to the tiebreaker. And um, uh, I, I guess if we had the well, I used to, I used to think it was a good a good thing that uh, we had uh, conservative uh, justices on the Supreme Court, but uh, I've since uh, begun to think that maybe we don't. Uh, but so, uh, but at least we got a shot if that works. Well, I mean, here, I mean, like I said, because I'm looking at all of this, and uh, and I know the media has played this up as to being a wonderful, great, uh, so, uh, 
successful trip, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm trying to figure out what policies that I would sit back and say, because you like, listen to Putin, uh, his press conference. And he basically said, ah, you know, cyber hacker, we didn't do it. Uh, you know, and, and you're thinking the issue we were talking, you wanted to talk about, you know, political opponents like the the gentleman who's presently in jail, who's an opponent of uh, Putin, he basically blew it off. He basically said, we don't do cyber hacking. So whatever, I mean, it, it seems to me, if your objectives were, right, we want you to stand up, we're going to stand up for this, and he's basically blowing you off in a press conference, which, by the way, you don't even dare to go toe-to-toe with this guy. I mean, there's another message right there. Yeah, and, and the message was even er- even earlier in that uh, they first of all did not have a um, a, pr- a joint press press conference, which normally they do. And secondly, uh, who goes first, <laughs> the the big guy or the little guy? Well, the little guy went yeah. first. Yeah, and like you say, he was you know. I was watching then, some of it, and it was like, you know, it was like he blew off. I mean, whatever objectives we had, he basically said, "Well, whatever you we may have talked about inside, and whatever, I don't really care." <laughs> yeah. Well, and also those yeah. um, those uh, so-called uh, cyber criminals that he's talking about um, really are they're 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 in league with the government anyway. So you know that. That that little nugget of a of a trade, uh, you, know, if you release our uh, cyber criminals, we'll release yours. Uh, that that's that that's a hollow a hollow uh, challenge because it, they all work for him anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, you're not going to get away with things in in Russia without. Yeah, you know, Putin getting a, a piece of the pie or knowing about it. I mean, these things don't occur like that. Well, one but, thing uh, that that Trump really understood, and apparently Biden and his crowd don't, and that is the the uh, Russians understand power, and they don't they don't really listen to anything other than than power. And of course, uh, Reagan really cemented that. Uh, that insight, yeah. But it was lost on Joe Biden, who was actually in Congress at the time. Uh, this whole thing yep. is just—it's a nightmare. <laughs> God. Well, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Here's the, uh, because here's some of the things. There's a very good article in uh, the Federalist. You know, some of the things to take away. Now, this is a point you made. Uh, and it goes back to what you stated. Uh, you know, Macron of France. It's great to have a U.S. president part of the club and willing to cooperate. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm thinking to myself, but it, but here's the thing. Yeah, we, you know, there's, you look at these agreements. They, whatever they, you know, the you know, policy of Russia, policy of China, you know, our big, we're going to do something really, really sticking to the Chinese. Well, you sit back and you look at, and here's the thing. We've managed a tepid call for a new World Health Organization back study on the COVID yeah. origin as if, I mean, 
these were the same people who basically the last time went in there and said, oh, uh, China, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, so China said, we're, we're not going to let you interview anybody in our lab. We're not going to let you in the lab. We're not going to give you any of our records of the lab. Uh, so, you know, but you can continue your investigation. They essentially, you know, basically the Chinese all but wrote, <laughs> wrote, you know, the report I mean, for all intents and purposes. I mean, if you really want to put it in bluntly, they gave the, the Chinese exactly what they want. And here we are again. I mean, we're... Uh, here we are again. And and meanwhile, can you imagine this happening in a Trump administration or even a Reagan administration where the Russians literally hold a military exercise outside of Hawaii? Well, I mean, they've been they've been thumbing their noses at us now for for um actually they started under the Trump administration. And the whole thing is, it's, it's just, um, well, let's put it this way. It's not something that, that we are going to, we'll be lucky to get to uh, the next uh, the next round of uh, leadership, which I assume will start, I, I, from what I'm hearing, uh, Tim will probably have more to tell, tell us about this, but what I'm hearing is that uh, the uh, 2022 uh, um, election should start the change of power. Usually, does the off the off um, election of the yeah. of a newly uh, elected president, and then uh, then but the real the real question is in, in 2024, and, and and underneath that is the the uh other issue about the integrity of the of the american vote um you know that's very much up in the air right now with the hr1 yeah. and s and the senate one so let's hope we we have a chance to get another uh a, a, a real free election that is not hasn't been uh, cooked well, that's, yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, I'm looking at. I mean, again, you look at these policies, and I think it's time for people to actually look at what these policies are. We had a successful Abraham Accord, an agreement with the, let's say, Arabs uniting with Israel uh, as part of a anti-Iranian coalition, if you want to put it. And that's gone. That's gone by the wayside almost immediately. You know, that's gone by the wayside. Uh, you have. I mean, basically, Putin talked about the Minsk Accord, and I want people to understand, part of the Minsk Accord is basically, you know, in the end, autonomy for the Russian portion of Ukraine. Translation, surrender the Russian portion, where's a good portion of your manufacturing in the Ukraine, back to Russia. Uh, only you just don't do it indirectly. And I mean, that's essentially what he's asking to do. Uh, and again, if you want... Uh, and, of course, in the case of China, the appeasement of China is continuing. Uh, I mean, we're back to the Biden, back to the Obama policies of failure in foreign policy. And only this time it's, it's, it's a lot riskier because we're a lot weaker. Right? It's a lot weaker. And it's, you know, well, we, we, weren't we weaker. don't have the margin we, of error. We weren't weaker when he took over. But he's rapidly making us weaker, and especially 
I mean, the most obvious thing is the uh, is the is the question of energy, which he's uh, he's actually diluting our our uh, our independence on um, uh, uh, fossil fuels and and giving it all to the Russians. I mean, we're, we're starting to buy more uh, more oil from the Russians now. Then we're then we're actually uh, using of our own, uh, and yeah. and and if you want to you want to get a, a way to stop everything, you just uh, take over the uh, the uh, franchise of uh, of the world's uh, control of the world's oil, and he he did that on, on, the, on the very first day that he was uh, after he was inaugurated. Yeah. Uh, well, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, is, yeah. I mean, somebody said, you know, we we shut down the our pipeline, and we opened, we allowed a pipeline to Germany <laughs> for the Russians. So we allowed the Russians their pipeline, and we shut down our own. Which means uh, that that they will have a strategic advantage over the entire Western Europe now, if they uh, complete the, that pipeline and get and and get everybody in Western Europe used to uh, inexpensive yeah. uh, Ru- uh, Russian oil. This is every way, every place you turn, there's some kind of screwy thing going on. Well, here's the other thing comes to play, because in the case of Germany, Germany's got tons of coal, but we can't burn coal because it's the ocean. They, if they, if they could develop nuclear energy very similar to what French. 70% of French uh, electricity comes from nuclear energy. The yeah. Germans won't do that. So they go wind and solar, and they have natural gas pumped in by Russia as their backup. So between the German stupidity and our own stupidity, uh, there's a whole lot of stupid people out there. I, I, I don't know if you ever – yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, 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 you're, you're right. I mean, I'm just absolutely amazed. I mean, I look at this, and I say to myself, you know, we've tried this before. It didn't work the last time, uh, but it worked again this and it, And so somehow or another we think it's going to be working again this time. But, oh, here's the class. I don't know. Do you ever get the Babylon Bee? People should, if you ever want to go and read a great satire, the Babylon Bee is one of the great satirists uh, out there. I mean, in many ways, I think they're better than the onion. And, you know, kind of summarize everything we just discussed here uh, is this. They have an article. It says, the people who ruined the world economy gather together to discuss how to fix the world economy. That sums up, you know, this past week. And what they didn't do this week, they will complete next week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love it. I mean, I mean, this is the opening line of the satire. Then we're gonna have to say goodnight to the Donaldson Files and move on quickly to the Resistance Hour, Doctor Larry and Tom. Uh, but I love this line. According to sources, people ruined the world economy by promoting lockdowns, economic shutdowns, and printing cash are now gathering together to discuss how to fix the world economy. That sums up this past week. This is Tom Donaldson saying goodnight from the Donaldson Files.
When you hear that trumpet, you know it's the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I'm Dr. Larry Fidoa, and uh, and I'm Tom. Co-host, and I'm Tom Donaldson. My, and I'm, and my yeah, I'm Tom Donaldson. <laughs> I'm Tom, Tom Donaldson, Donaldson, and we do have yes, and we do have Tim on the line. He's ready to go. So well, I'll let you introduce your guest. We'll uh, we'd like to welcome. Uh, Tim Hugo to our uh, little uh, conversation tonight, and we want to talk to T- Tim as a very uh, veteran uh, legislator in uh, the uh, Commonwealth of Virginia Assembly, and uh, also a, a candidate for um, uh, the nomination, uh, the Republican nomination for Lieutenant Governor, and um, we're uh, we're going to talk we're, go- we're going to talk some more about the uh, future of the Republican Party and, and, in general, the future of the country as it comes from the uh, from the uh, state uh, perspective. And uh, Tim is a is a an old friend and a very uh, a very astute observer and participant in that in that scenario. So, Tim, welcome to the Resistance Hour. Well, hey, Larry, thanks for calling me an astute observer. I, I think my, maybe my family tells people that, but I, it's nice to hear from somebody else. God bless you. Thank you, <laughs> Well, don't be too uh, humble, you know. Politicians are not known for their humility. <laughs> well, I, I'm trying to break the mold, my friend. We'll see, we'll see how I do tonight. <laughs> well, uh, we, we'd like to begin with maybe you could uh, just uh, give us a few, give our audience a few words of, uh, of your background and, um, and your interests. Well, you know, Larry, you and I have known each other and our families. I've known your family for 20, 25, 30 years. Uh, I was 17 years a uh, Virginia, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, uh, representing as a conservative. A strong conservative representing Northern Virginia, which uh, became, you know, challenged sometimes. Uh, ten of those years, ten of those 17 years, I was the number three person in the House leadership. It was the Speaker, the Majority Leader, and me. And uh, I was part of the House leadership, uh, trying to steer a, rep- a Republican caucus, sometimes very big, sometimes uh, razor thin, uh, to the conservative way, and and help to lead them. And we had a we had a good run, and now we've we've got to get Virginia back. I think the Democrats are taking us the wrong way. Uh, they, they're not even, we're not even saying they're thinking about it. They are. They are open about it. There's a hubris they have. And we have got to fight back this year with the gubernatorial lieutenant governor, AG, and all the House delegate candidates. And I think we've got a really good shot. Well, one of the things I think uh, we need to mention to the audience is, is the fact that uh, Virginia has an off-year uh, election this year. Uh, for governor, and uh, I guess it's both houses of uh, the assembly, right? No, just and no, just the House of Delegates. The Senate, just the House of Delegates. The Senate, the Senate doesn't ra- rotate. All forty up will be up uh, in twenty-three. I see. So, um, and of course, people are looking at that, and they always do as a uh, as a forerunner of what's going to happen the next year when we have the national elections. So. Uh, I, I'd like to have you have a begin our conversation, perhaps with what do you think happened in um, in uh, in 2020? We we had a a Democrats actually it was 
2018, I guess we had the uh, we had the well, Democrat sweep. Yeah. Well, let me let me just let me run with uh, what you said that you know about being the forerunner. Remember in 2009, um, actually 2008, Barack Obama was elected and across the country elected president, and you know the Democrats thought they were on the on the roll to you know taking everything for from here on out. Well, the fact of the matter is, in 2009, uh, with Governor Bob McDonnell um, in the Virginia House and Senate, we rolled up uh, majorities in the House and took big majorities. I mean, we started in Virginia uh, the, the, the pendulum swinging back. And if you look what happened over Barack Obama's term in office, uh, Republicans ended up with over two-thirds of the House legislatures across the country, uh, one redistricting big. And, and we picked up a thou, almost 1,000 state legislators across America, but it started in Virginia. I really do believe we have that opportunity now uh, in 2021. I think people – not necessarily – I think I, I made the joke before. It's, it's kind of like the – I think a lot of folks are going to be like the, uh, the drunk guy that woke up the next day and said, what the heck did I do last night with a lampshade on his head when they see what they voted for in Virginia? when they see this far-left agenda that is coming forward, when they see the far-left agenda that's coming from Washington and the National Democrats, I think there's going to be a, a realization this is not where we want to be. And I think it will start uh, in Virginia next year. We're down six seats in the Virginia House. We've got great candidates across the board. And also, too, Larry, something you and I have talked about before, we've got candidates, you know, there's 100 seats. I think we've got candidates this time in like 96 seats. You know, we've got people running everywhere. I think that's indicative of our people, Republicans and conservatives, are fired up, ready to roll. And I think we're going to have a great year of that. And then we could talk about 220 and 18, 18, 19, and 20 if you want. But I, I wanted to get that out there first and see what you thought about that. Yeah. yeah. And before we, yeah, there's a couple of quick questions I want to ask. Uh, sure. I want to, you know, you know, before we get, you know, further into this, because I know you ran for lieutenant governor, but you, uh, uh, you, you you lost out to Winston Sears. Tell us something yeah, about sure. her. Yeah, tell us something about her. She sounds like an interesting well, candidate. Interesting candidate. Like I said, she was uh, a one-term delegate and uh, conservative. I thought, you know, look, I support the team, and we're, we're gonna. I think we're gonna have a, a yeah. team from the governor's race to her to to the AG. I mean, you've got uh, yeah. Jason Miaras. His family came from Cuba. Uh, so you'll have an mm-hmm. African-American woman, you'll have a Cuban, and, and then you'll have a, a former CEO from Northern Virginia. I think it's going to be a, but only that, an interesting but yeah. I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah, the, but the lieutenant governor, I mean, she's a, a former Marine. That's why I mean, it's like, I mean, she's everything you want in a candidate. I feel bad for you having to run against such a candidate. <laughs> well, I was, ar- I was uh, Army, but, so we're, we're, I was Army, so I'm a, little, I'm a little sensitive about that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> easy, 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 Tommy. Delhi and Hugo's nice. I really liked it when they were, I was Sergeant Hugo, so come on. Yeah. But, okay, the other question, tell us something about the governor, him, the, the, your candidate for governor. You know, why, you know, what, you know, what he's all about and why you think he has a chance to beat uh, Terry McAuliffe. Glenn Youngkin's an interesting candidate. Look, said, I mean, he called me in January and said, hey, you know, I've known Glenn for years. I've heard the rumors, but he called in January and said, Tim, I'm thinking about running. And I said, Glenn, that's great, but, gosh, it's probably a little too late. You know, it's January. Well, I was wrong, and he was right. Um, he's, a, he's an outsider. 
He's got uh, obviously he's got some financial capability. I think he said he'll raise eighty to eighty-five million dollars, which is unique. But I think he's got a great personality and a great story. Where I did in Virginia Beach, uh, grew up and uh, you know his father lost his job. He had to work young, and you know he worked in some of the restaurants down in Virginia Beach like I did, and then worked his way up to head of the Carlisle Group, a you know a billion you know multi-billion-dollar endeavor, and you know with thousands of employees. I think he and and I will say this. And he's from Northern Virginia, which is where we're getting pulverized. I think that is a key. Thing. I think that is a key thing to have somebody on the ticket. That's what I was trying to do too. Uh, somebody on the ticket from Northern Virginia, they can say, "Hey, look, we we understand. We are, you know, we will be. This candidate will be with you, but he's a conservative. That I think the downstate folks in the Valley and Southwest and Southside will like. And look, and he grew up in Virginia Beach. I mean. He and I, look, I grew up in Virginia Beach, came to Fairfax, Northern Virginia. He grew up in Virginia Beach, came up here. Bob McDonald had the same thing. Bob grew up in Fairfax and went to Virginia Beach. We, we always made the joke we must have met him, you know, sit, waved at each other on somewhere on 95. But I think Glenn Youngkin has a <laughs> unique opportunity. Also, too, I think Democrats are a little bit tired of a Terry McAuliffe, and I think Terry McAuliffe's scared. And I think when you – I made the joke on the radio the other day. They said, hey, tell me, Tim. Who could beat Terry McAuliffe? I said, who can beat Terry McAuliffe? I said, well, Joe Biden. And I do think Joe Biden is really helping. And I think that goes back to what I was saying about 2009. Virginia, many times, is a reflection of the national environment. I think the national environment, uh, with the Democrats going so far to the left, is going to help Virginia Republicans and Virginia conservatives. It's going to help Glenn Youngkin. It's going to help the whole thing. Are you, are you going to run for anything? Not this week, Larry, but we'll see what I do when I grow up. Oh, gosh. I mean, uh, <laughs> you, you know, I'll, I'll see you at church, and you'll have to have a contact conversation with my wife. So. Okay. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm going to take a – I'm taking my son to some baseball games next week. So we'll, we'll – we'll, Red Sox game. So we'll see what I do when well, I grow up. Well, we're listening to the uh, Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You might know me, I'm 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedinamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. You're listening to the uh, Resistance Hour with uh, Dr. Larry and uh, Tom Donaldson, and uh, our guest tonight is Tim Hugo. Uh, we're talking about uh, the political landscape, uh, first of Virginia, and uh, and then eventually we'll uh, we're also going to uh, talk about the the inter- interesting fact that 
Uh, Virginia has an off-state, an off-year election this year, and uh, it's uh, typically been a kind of a forecast of uh, what happens, what's going to happen in the next year, which is a general election. And uh, Tim, you were, we were just talking about <clears throat> about our new uh, candidate for governor. Did you know him in um, in uh, Virginia Beach when you were uh, younger? No, I didn't know him that far back, but I knew him up here in Northern Virginia. You know, I'd run into him at various events, and in fact, I uh, he lived next door to a, a good friend of ours, and uh, his wife and I attended the funeral together. So, but, but no, not in the beach, but up here. He's kind of it, running around in Northern Virginia. He's about your age. How old is he? I think he's in, he's in his fifties somewhere, but he's a good guy and good family man. And yeah. I met his boys, and uh, you know. He's a good, good guy, good, good businessman. Got a great jump shot. I don't know if you've seen his commercial. He buries yeah. that, he buries that three pointer from way out. So he's going to do well. I think he's going to bury the three pointer in November, and we're going to do well. You think? So uh, we were uh, accused of losing the, uh, the suburban vote in uh, in 2018. Is that? Uh, do you believe that or? What's your analysis of that whole issue? You know, look, uh, and you and I have talked about it a little bit. I am uh, a fan of President Trump's policy, but sometimes his tone didn't resonate as well in the suburbs, especially in northern Virginia. And, yeah, it, it look, I, I went from winning by about on an average of 24 points to, you know, didn't didn't work out as well in 2019 after 17 years. But that's that's some, how it works sometimes. But again, that goes back to what I said. I think the pendulum's coming back. I think the national the national media did not give President Trump a break whatsoever. And I think you're starting to see some of these things that he talked about where he was right and they were wrong. Uh, I don't know if they'll ever admit it. Uh, but with that being said, again, the the environment swings back. If it does, I think we pick up we pick up seats in Virginia, and then in 22. Uh, we pick up, you know, we pick up a lot of uh, candidates across the country. I had a candidate um, call me today, an elected supervisor, a woman who wants to run for Congress. And, um, you know, Janine Lawson is a great candidate, and I think she's, you know, a woman, conservative, got an elected seat now. Um, she's going to be an impressive candidate when she jumps into the race. So. I just think so, you're going to see more good people like that. If we do well in Virginia this year, you will see more good people like that in Virginia next year. You will see more good people like that across the country candidates jump in because for a couple years there we had you know we we had a paucity of candidates. Sometimes they just wouldn't run. You went like I said you you've got 96 candidates out of 100 running I think in the Virginia House. Rich Anderson, the current Republican party chairman, has done an excellent job, but so have all the party chairmen. Uh, in each locality across the Commonwealth. Do you, would you welcome uh, Donald Trump uh, campaigning for you if, you if you were a candidate? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, the, you know, obviously each candidate's got to make a decision, but I would, sure. And uh, mm-hmm. because I think the national environment changes, and mm-hmm. um, you know, everybody's got to make that decision. But I, I would think so because you know. You don't run, don't look, don't run away from them because they're going to try to tie you to them anyway. 
So you might as well embrace it and, 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 and run with it and run with the good things he's done and talk about it and then differentiate and, and talk about the things you want to talk about. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the trick when you're a candidate. You know, take, take the good and then also take what you need to do, talk about things you need to talk about. Okay. Uh, hey, Tim, here's a question. You know, when you look at Virginia, you know, obviously yes, the D.C. suburbs is I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the 2020 presidential and basically in the D.C. suburbs, you know, Biden almost got 70 percent. Uh, uh-huh. So here's the question I'm going to throw back. Tell me something about what would you classify as what central Virginia and the mountain areas of Virginia? Uh, because both of those were areas that Trump carried well, in central Virginia. I mean, he, barely, he got only about 53 percent. In the mountain areas, he got like 63 percent. And that's like right. you know, those two areas alone represent you know, 36 percent of the voters. Uh, so say something about those regions. And is, are there more votes you can gather to take, you know, for, let's say, Youngton uh, in the, the, could take and take, you know, and move up. But maybe what I'm trying to say is, are there more votes to be gained in those two areas? I, I think there's probably more votes to gain everywhere. So let me, let me say this. I hear what you're going. And, and we've got to put yeah. people, put it in perspective. Uh, fair, you know, Virginia is what, eight point, you know, over 8 million, 8.4, something like that. Fairfax yeah. County, one county is about 1.2 million. So one out of seven-ish votes, you know, is is in is in Northern Virginia is in Fairfax. That's just a fact. Uh, you're right. Trump, President Trump, got I think 20, 27, 28 percent in Fairfax in the presidential. I mean, we got yeah. Green. Bob McDonald and 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 that that's it. Bob McDonald in '09 won Fairfax County, not got close. Won Fairfax County. We've looked at the numbers, and you're right. When you start adding up all the little counties out west, southwest, some of them with 10,000, 15,000, whatever, but you win them 70, 80%, that's great, but they're still only 15,000. If we can win, if we can hold the Democrats to say 42, 43%, 40%, but really 42, 43, maybe 44% in Northern Virginia, Fairfax, Republicans win. So we don't have to win Fairfax. We don't have to win Arlington. We don't have to win Alexandria. We just make sure we don't get blown out. And that's why yeah. I think so Yonkin, his persona, that kind of he's got that kind of suburban persona. I always make the I always made a joke with my not a joke statement. With my, my my staff, um, Northern Virginia, the suburbs like it. I called it suburban nice. Be conservative, but say it with a smile. And if you do that, I think you'll do very well. I think Glenn Youngkin has that ability to do it very well, suburban nice. He is a conservative, but he'll deliver that message, and then suburbs it'll go well, and then just being a conservative and mad at northern, mad at uh, Washington, D.C., we will roll up uh, those conservatives, those Republicans, in the, in the rest of the state, southwest of the valley, you know, south side that you're talking about. We don't. We don't. Just don't get blown out in Northern Virginia. That's the big deal. That's why it's important. Yeah. That's the big deal. Yeah. What, what, what are other, the What are the big issues now in this election? Do you think it's mainly um, anti-Biden, or is it? Is there, is there some other? What's What's the main theme now? Well, I think Democrats were motivated in the past election by anti-Trump, and so were some Republicans. Uh, there was right. just an animus toward the president. Uh, right. I don't. I think there's going to be. You've got 
one, I don't think the, the Democrats are going to be as in love with Terry McAuliffe. Um, he just beat some very progressive Democrats, so we'll we'll see what kind of what kind of unity they have in their party. Um, hate is a hate is a powerful motivator, Larry. You guys know politics, and if if you don't hate, you know, the, listen listen to Terry McCall. He he doesn't talk about issues much. He talks about Trump, 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 Trump. He's still trying to run on that hatred, run that hate wave, ride that hate wave of Donald Trump. I don't think he can do it. I think you're gonna, you've got people now talking about the coronavirus, um, China. Their schools have been closed. People, you know, there, there's issue after issue after issue. You have taxes. You have, look, I, I'm sitting here uh, looking at my, I'm in my car, and I'm looking at the gas. I've got to fill it up, and now what, gas is well over 3 bucks a gallon. I've got, had some kids that work for me, and they're 20-some years old. They're like, how come is, the gas has gone up so quick? I said, because you elected Joe Biden. People elected Joe Biden. Um, I heard y'all talking about it on the radio beforehand. He'll let you have a pipeline. He'll help approve a pipeline from Russia to Germany, but he shuts down the pipelines here in the United States. And that is a tragedy. And that is an energy. It's going to, you know, that cost, that, that hits these kids, uh, voters, uh, inflation, when it hits them in the pocketbook. And when that combines with what they're seeing nationally, I think the, I think we're going to, instead of the wave hitting us in the face, we're going to be riding the wave in November and in November of 22. What about the, uh, is, is there, have you perceived any uh, impact of the uh, uh, immigration invasion that we're getting in the, in the uh, southern border? I think some of those, some of those folks are uh, ending up up here, aren't they? Yeah, they are, and, and, but also I, I even hear Democrats saying this is out of control. And, I mean, people can see what's happening. And, you know, and even Kamala Harris was saying, you know, please don't come. Uh, too late. You've already, you've, already the green, you know, you've already sent the green light up, you know, opened the gate and waved everybody in. And, you know, you've offered them a cup of coffee and, you know, you're putting them up. You're putting people up in hotels, people who are breaking the law, crossing the border. Up in hotels, when we have Americans, you know, people that have been here or fought in the country or just maybe hard on the luck living on the street, something's fundamentally flawed with that. And we have got to stand up and say it. I think people will see that. I think that will be part of the discourse this fall and next fall. Um, when you're having hundreds of, you know, 100,000 people, you know, it's 100,000, 170,000 people trying to cross a month, that's an outrage. It, it's unsustainable. Well, especially when they put them on buses and ship them all over the United States without any permission or advance warning or or budgetary uh, uh, allowances for the uh, you know the educational uh, costs, the uh, welfare costs. I mean, it's the whole thing is just completely out of control. Well, Larry, we had this a few a few years ago when we were having, you know, a lot of the children um, were coming across, and you know, the UACs, they called them, unaccompanied children. And Fairfax ended up taking 2,000, okay? This was five, six years ago. Well, for, a, for a, a child like that who English is a second language, you know, they need extra help and services, they estimated the cost is about 20,000 a child, over 20,000 a child. Well, 20,000 times 2,000, 
that's an extra $40 million. Now, that was just one summer, one year of 2,000 kids. What happens when Fairfax and Prince William, every, every area, start to absorb kid after kid after kid? And, I mean, God bless them. We're not, I'm not saying anything about the kids. I'm just saying it's a fact. Somebody has to pick up that tab. Fairfax, that one summer, that one, you know, was going to pick up estimated an extra $40 million just because of those 2,000 unaccompanied children that were coming over, UACs that were coming over. It's more than 2,000. It's thousands upon thousands upon thousands that are now coming and have come over the last few years. It, you know, people talk about overcrowded classrooms, the budget, the schools. Well, there is a reason, and that's part of it. Well, hold that thought. You're listening to the Resistance Hour with uh, Dr. Larry and Tom Donaldson on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late-night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. You're listening to the... I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. You're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And uh, our guest tonight is uh, Tim Hugo. We're talking about uh, state politics in Virginia and its reflection uh, in the uh, national scene. And uh, Tom... um, you were uh, you've been quiet here for a while. I think you probably have some things to talk about. Yes, I do. But I have to be honest with you. I, you know, my I dropped my phone. Oh, that's why. That's a good reason to be quiet. <laughs> I mean, basically, it's one of those things where I dropped my phone. I had my earphones on, but there's no phone connected to it, so I had to basically, oh, where's my phone? I'm like, <laughs> but, all right. Uh, well, let me, let, me, let me put it this way. Uh, Tim, let me ask these questions. Uh, issues that you think will be dominant coming into the, uh, the Virginia race. Uh, let, me give an ex- uh, let me give you one issue. The teaching of critical race theories and some of the more radical uh, replacing the United you know, as part of U.S. history. Uh, how does that play out? Absolutely. I, I mean, I hear people talking about that. I think we've got to make the argument to a lot of our people that don't understand, but I think that's something is teaching kids to be racist or it's saying that you're a racist because the color of your skin and that's not right, but that is exactly where we're going. I see a a melding of the far left and and some of these racial groups and it's wrong. Uh, So I think that will be an issue. I think actually I know that'll be an issue because you're already seeing people talking about it. 
I think it's, it's, it's talked about among conservative Republican circles. I think it needs to, we need to figure out, does that resonate in the middle? And I think it will. And, and I'm sure it will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you saw it the other okay. day. Uh, one of the Fairfax County uh, school board members spoke at uh, the former Jeb Stewart, now Justice High School, and, and gave one speech in English. And then in another speech, she, she mentioned jihad uh, when she gave it, in, in, I think, in, in Arabic. And this is wrong. These far-left uh, activists are bringing with impunity uh, to the school systems, to our children. I don't believe they're trying to okay, educate yeah. our children. I believe they're trying to indoctrinate them. Uh, before I go, a uh, quick question here. Because there's an, I want to do a question on crime, but did you say formerly known as Jeb Stewart High School? It was. They changed the name. It was Jeb Stewart. Now it's Justice High School. Uh, and uh, well, you're, she's a, she's a, she's a school me. board member. What's that? Because oh, I'm class of 72, Jeb Stewart. Or, well, I will say Jeb Stewart High School. I was class of 1972. Uh, All right. They, so. they, changed, they changed the name. Yep. And, yeah. and she went in there and gave this flaming speech yeah. where she denigrated yeah. capitalism, denigrated individualism, uh, talked about supremacy, you know, racial supremacy, and, and, and talked about jihad in a different language. That that's not what she said in English. And I just think people like that are fomenting, fomenting, uh, stoking hatred, stoking division. It is dangerous, and they don't care. They are doing it with impunity, and and they're taking it. Again, I don't think they're trying to educate our kids, some of them. They're trying to indoctrinate our children. Yeah. Okay, now as a follow-up to, okay, Loudoun County just had a school board election. And it seems to me, and this is the reason why I was getting into this question about critical race theory and uh, mm-hmm. some of the educational things we're talking about. Uh, and it sounds like to me the uh, anti, you know, I, I'm going to say the anti-woke group won the election. Am I not correct on that? Um, no, I think the the woke the woke's, the woke's in charge right now. But we're, I know people are pushing back. They're trying to recall some of these folks. Uh, they've got recall efforts in, in Fairfax. Many of it, most of that was based on the school closure, but now they've gotten additional because of what I just told you happened at Fair, Jeb Stewart slash Justice High School. Uh, I think the woke, no, the woke crowd's in charge. There's no doubt, no doubt. But yeah. that's why I'm hopeful that we can win these things yeah. um, going forward. Okay. I think I hope our people so, are waking up to what the what the far left is doing. Mm-hmm. What, did so, the, okay. what did what did the um, the uh, primary election tell us, if anything? For the Republican, well, I, I, Terry McAuliffe won, so I mean uh, he's still strong. There's no doubt about that. Um, I do, you know, he won with sixty percent, which was actually impressive. But I do think there's he defeated three African Americans, uh, three or four African Americans. I think there's going to be a a problem with that. I think it's just going to be an interest to see. There's, um, and on the attorney general, the, uh, Mark Herring defeated an African-American delegate candidate. I think there'll be an interest in to see if the African-American community turns out uh, for McCollum, uh, like they like they need to if he's going to win. Uh, you look, Donald Trump did very well, did you know much better with uh, African-American community than folks anticipated. 
his problem was, we talked about it a little earlier, uh, Donald Trump's problem sometimes was in the suburb, extreme race. Um, both the candidates, I think, I think McAuliffe is, is flawed. Uh, remember, Mark Herring had his own blackface problem, um, and he had actually called for, you know, Northam to resign. Uh, so, you know, people called for Herring to resign. So I think there, I think it's a weak candidate on the Democrat side. Kala Ayala is a two-term delegate, but really no accomplishments. So I think it's, I think Republicans have a real opportunity if the environment gives them a little bit of a boost. Uh, because they've got a great ticket, and I don't think the Democrats particularly have a great ticket this year. Yeah. What about crime? You know, what are people talking about crime in your like uh, as an issue? The police are on, and to fund the police. Let me just say this: we've we've talked to a number. You know, I was running for lieutenant governor, and I was talking to police around the Commonwealth, and it's interesting to talk and listen to what they have to say. Crime is up. Remember in Fairfax and Loudon and in Northern Virginia, we elected three Commonwealth attorneys with a couple million dollars from George Soros, literally, uh, that defeated two Demo- law and order Democrat Commonwealth attorney and, and one Republican candidate. They aren't prosecuting any misdemeanors. You know, if you can, Dr. Larry, Tom, if you go in and steal five hundred dollars yep. out of, of Walmart. You walk out with it. You get out with it. They let you out with it. You know, they're not going to prosecute you. Yeah. And so crime is up. But here's what the danger is, I believe. What y'all are doing, how are you? Well, they're depressed. You know, my daughter you know, did a, a little breakfast brunch for the police station in the area. And my wife was talking to the captain. He said, look, our people are not happy. They're depressed. They feel like nobody's supporting them. Uh, in bad economic times, usually everybody's applying to be a police officer. Nobody's being applying. But when you talk to them, I said, well, how is it impacting how you're policing and what you do? And here's what struck me. They said, and this is not one. This is a number of them because like, you know, I've asked a bunch of them. They said, look, we used to be proactive, looking for crime, going through, looking to see if you know, we can find something. Now we respond to the call. And that's it. I said, well, what do you do in between where, you know, you're, oh, we're on our phone. We're doing, you know, we'll be on Facebook. But, you know, we don't think the police, you know, leadership, we don't think the politician, family, we got houses. You know, I think you're seeing the police pull back from proactive policing. And you're hearing about it in New York City and all. But the crime is up in every locality. Uh, a lot of these localities, that's a danger. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to get killed. And it's because of this defund the police and because of this, this you know, they, they, they have this attitude where the police are wrong no matter what. It's, it's, it's dangerous, and it's wrong, and it's, it's, a, it's a disservice to the men and women in the blue, but it's a danger to our family. And I tell you what, dude, uh, you know, the Democrats are going to come back. They just barely didn't pass, you know, legislation. Uh, that would allow more lawsuits against police. I have heard, you know, when this, if this were to pass, police will leave because they know they'll be sued, and they think that they think that's a danger to their families, and they're not they're not willing to stay. And the Democrats yeah. just barely didn't get that passed last year. So. Hmm. Jim, you, I've take, I've taken the position that 
I feel that the um, the greatest uh, the greatest chance that uh, the uh, republic has of surviving this onslaught of Marxism it lies with the states, and that <clears throat> that we have. Um, a lot of younger and uh, and very uh, vigorous uh, candidates in uh, in the uh, and and also some moderate a lot more moderate uh, Democrats too uh, than uh, than this far far left group that we have in power now and uh, and also that <clears throat> that uh, a lot of the new ideas. For uh, how to uh, uh, how to run the country and how to run our companies and our and our uh, our lives really uh, are coming from are coming as they have traditionally really from the states to the uh, federal. Uh, what what is your do you have a, a sense of that uh, whether that's a, uh, a valid. Uh, uh, proposition or not? No, I, I think I think it is. I think you're seeing good candidates. Like I said, you got 96 out of 100 in Virginia. You've got great candidates running here: Lieutenant Governor, Governor uh, AG. And, and and I think what you said too. You talked about how far left. You know, I, I used to say there's you know, there used to be a lot of moderate Democrats. Either Republicans beat them, or Democrats beat them in a primary. And they they beat a few. You were asking about the primary. They beat a few. You know, moderate. Uh, Democrats won in Portsmouth, particularly last last week or two weeks ago. So I think it's going to make a big difference. But it really is the I call it the AOC AOCian of the Democratic Party. I mean, it used to be a Democratic Party of. I used to make the joke, and I said it ain't your granddaddy's Democratic Party. It's not JFK's party or Jimmy Carter's. It's the party of AOC. It's the part party of Elizabeth Warren. It's the party of the Squad. And I think America's got to be very wary of that. And I think all the state legislators are seeing that. And, and that's why people are stepping up across the country to do that. I think on one issue, too, uh, you know, and Tom and Dr. Lair, I, I, I neglected to mention, and I read something today, it's been right to work in the, you know, the power of the unions in Virginia. Right to work has been a mainstay of Virginia that you don't have to join a union if you don't want to. Um, Democrats came, you know, close in the last year of, of repealing it. Terry McAuliffe had always said in the past, oh, no, I would never sign it. I saw something today on video where he said, yeah, if they put it on my desk, I'll sign it. That's going to be a big issue, Tom. You'd ask the issue, both of you, for the business community up here when he says, yeah, because there will be pressure on every Democrat to do that from the union. It's like I said last week, you know, when the Democrats had their primary uh, on the on the leg- on the legislative level, some of the moderate one moderate Democrat got beat, but everybody was getting challenged from the farther left. So that says to every Democrat, you go left, or we will send your backside home. So I would think if Terry McAuliffe is now saying he'll sign a repeal of right to work, and the Democratic Party as a whole is unified on that issue. Virginia businesses better be very wary, and that's, that'll be a big issue for the fall, too, uh, in northern Virginia. Uh, that'll get those moderate businessmen and women saying, ooh, that's definitely not what we, we bargained for with Terry McAuliffe with the Democrats uh, 
at all. And we're, we're going to look at we're going to give that Yonk and God good luck because of that. Well, hold that thought. This is the Resistance Hour with uh, Dr. Larry and Tom Donaldson on the Bachelor News Radio Network. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And we're talking to uh, Tim Hugo t- uh, tonight. And, um, Tim, you were talking about the uh, right-to-work uh, states uh, as it's twenty. It's actually uh, aren't there thirty some states that have right to right to work laws? There, there's a number, and I tell you what, businesses. I, I don't know the exact number, but I do know businesses are going to states like that. They're going to Florida. They're going to they're going to Texas. They're, they're going to you know the, the Tennessee. The good states uh, like that is where these businesses want to be. South Carolina. And Virginia better be very wary, Virginia businesses, because I know a lot of companies have set up here. That's why when Bob McDonnell was governor and when we had big majorities in the House and the Senate, Republicans had big majorities in the House and Senate, uh, Virginia was the best place in America to do business. Uh, it's not anymore. It's getting worse. Uh, these Democrats are passing regulation, taxes. They repeal right to work. That's a backbreaker uh, for the Commonwealth of Virginia, and we've got to be – that's that's another reason we've got to fight back this fall. What, what's the what's the old expression? You need to uh, pray like there's no work, but work like there's no prayer. I think that's very apropos for this fall. So, what do you, have you had much um, uh, occasion to? Um, well, you're you're, you're based uh, business wise. You're based in Washington D.C., right? And, yeah, fair, yeah, yeah. And um, I'm just wondering if you uh, if you have any uh, or any recent uh, uh, impressions of other states, uh, have, you know, in some of the uh, some of the organizations that uh, that uh, run around uh, D.C. Um, well, yeah, we've talked to them, and, and some of them. Look, in the past, they were like, hey, we're going to expand in Virginia. Now people are saying, I've talked to Virginia companies, you know, we're running for lieutenant governor this year. Look, Tim, we're going to wait and see what happens. We're going to expand, but maybe we'll expand in North Carolina or South Carolina or Florida or Texas. And I think that's, that's what you're seeing. You're going to see uh, the economy of Virginia. We're going to slow it's slowing down. People are just taking a, we're taking a pause. But if Terry McAuliffe is, is governor, it will 
it, it will come to a stop. And here, here's the thing I think is interesting, Dr. Larry and Tom. Alfonso yep. Lopez is the Democrat uh, majority caucus chairman. You know, two years ago, he said, you know, give us a majority and we'll undo what the Republicans, conservatives have done. And in two days, we'll undo what they did in two decades. Now he's saying, just give us the majority one more time and we'll finish the job. Well, he'll finish the job on right to work. He'll finish the job on uh, regulation. He'll finish the job on taxes. Democrats will finish the job on everything we believe in, whether it's the, the Second Amendment or or right to life or anything dealing with the family. That's how far left they've gone. But that's the hubris they have that they just say, give us majority one more time. We'll finish the job. That's where they are. That's what we need people in the, in the you know, sensible center and conservatives to know about. And I think when we do that, we win. Are you running into that far left element in the, in the assembly and in, in the state government? Oh yeah, yeah they are. They are. The business community knows, and in, in Richmond, they're getting they're getting tattooed. But you know, some of them are. Some of these business folks are just. What's the expression? They're hoping to be the last alligator eaten. I said, well, I've told them, look, you may be the last alligator eaten. You know, after everybody else's business gets you know taken down and screwed over, but you're going to get eaten, uh, indeed, my friends. So you better get up and fight now. And, you know, because they see, look, you had people, you know, they say, look, Lee Carter just lost, but he lost because, you know, it was just kind of goof. But he said he was saying, I'm I'm not a Democrat, I'm a socialist. That's what he would say. Uh, But you have far left after far left after far left. People that normally you wouldn't think could get elected in Democrat primary, but that's, that's where they are now. That's where the Democrat Party is. It is far left, and America better... Recognize it, and so so should Virginia. Well, you probably in in this primary though you you probably uh, have have a small turnout of mostly uh, uh, zealots. So it wouldn't be surprising if if you have a you know a pretty uh, strong uh, representation of uh, of the far left. Is, is that what happened, or is that just speculation? No, I think that's what happened. And and look, it, even even if they if they don't win, every every one of those Demo, a lot of those Democrats, there was what twenty some had prime, twenty five, twenty six had primary. They were challenged by the farther left. Well, what does that say to you? That says, hmm. If you're a Democrat, hmm. Go left, or or they'll send me home. And I think that's what there's going to, and they will vote like that come November if they're still in power. And now if you give them a, a, a Democratic governor who's going to have to go farther left to pro, pro, you know, prove his you know, bona fides, bona fides to, the, uh, to the Democrat, you know, to the to Democratic electorate. And, he's all, look, he's also a guy that wants to run for president in four years, you know, three and a half years. So Terry McConnell. So he's, he's, he's pitching to a Virginia audience and also to a national audience, too. I think we just got to recognize that. And make sure we're ready for this fight. And I just say to all conservatives, all Republicans, look, today's the day to fight. This year's the year to fight. This is the time to stop. We don't do it now. You'll regret it. it is to connect with 811 before he starts singing. Hmm. On second thought, I think maybe yeah. I'll put my. Yeah. Well, here's a. I got a question here for you. Because I notice now the polls are very close at this point. Um, 
You know, he's. Uh, I, I think one poll has um, WBA poll has about by two points, and there was a new poll. I'm trying to. It has him. You know, has McCullough up by only four points. Uh, and I guess my question, you know, so I guess my question would be is this: If you were in the young kid camp right now, would you sit back and say, you know, that's not a bad place to be at this point in the campaign? That's a great. That's not a bad place to be. That's a great place to be. I mean, Terry McAuliffe has got broad name ID. He was, you know, lieutenant governor, excuse me, governor for four years. He's run for statewide. He ran for office before that. Remember, he ran for governor before that and lost. So he's he's been around the state for you know a decade or more. So he's got the name ID. If you're a new guy that just jumped into the race in January, and you're just a few points behind, that is a darn good position to be in. So I think uh, Glenn Youngkin, Republican conservative Glenn Youngkin, should feel very good about himself. Um, but, you know, Terry McAuliffe, you know, got to be nervous. You know, here's a guy that's close and here's a guy, a Republican conservative, uh, a happy warrior with a smile from Northern Virginia. And, oh, by the way, he can probably raise 80 to $85 million for a fist, for a, for a, you know, a statewide fist fight. That, that should make uh, McAuliffe shiver at night. I think it does. Well, here's the other thing. Too. Let's go back to the point. Yeah, there's a real quick question here, a point here, because I'm, mm-hmm. again, I'm looking at this one, uh, this one poll, the GMC poll. And, you know, you made a point earlier in the show. We got to keep, you know, our, the margin down in Northern Virginia. Yeah, you, know, you can't lose by Correct. 30 points. You got to. Okay, right now, he's only, you know, McCullough has only got an 18-point lead in the D.C., what they call the D.C. media market. Uh, there you go. There you go. I mean, that's why, that's why McCall, McAuliffe has been a shrill attacking um, Yonk in these last few days. We watched him, you know, trying to link him to Trump. I mean, that's all he's got. He's trying to link him to Trump, uh, President Trump. Yeah. And McAuliffe knows. He's in a dogfight. This is not – I think McAuliffe thought he would get a walk in the park He's Terry McAuliffe. The Democrats would rally around them. Republicans would be in disarray. Well, Republicans have had their own family feud, but they've come out of it united. And they've come out united with a, a good candidate, actually a great candidate, that's going to have the money, have the resources for a fist fight, and going to be able to do the things we need to do. So, And like I said, Republicans, too, have candidates running all across the Commonwealth. I will tell you, Larry and, and Tom, in, in 17, when we did have a big majority, um, there might have been some left, you know, lethargy. You know, we had uh, not a lot of candidates running in, in parts of northern Virginia and Fairfax and Arlington. And so the Democratic Socialists of Washington, D.C. were getting a bus, you know, for 80 to 100 socialists to go door-to-door against my friend Jackson Miller and Manassas. They were campaigning, you know, trucking, trucking all the way out there. Well, the reason they trucked all the way out to Manassas, you know, 40, 45 miles out of D.C., is because they didn't, um, they didn't have any word, they didn't have any candidates to stop for early on. So we've got, now they'll have, you know, they're going to have to take care of Arlington. They're going to have to take care of Alexandria. They're going to have to take care of Inner Fairfax because we've got candidates running all over. I think that bodes well for Glenn Youngkin. I think it bodes well for a Republican ticket. But I think it bodes well for the House of Delegates, which in the end may be the, the, the most likely, which in the end may be the firewall or could be one of the firewalls 
against this liberal, what you called it, uh, socialist, Marxist uh, ideology. There, I, mean, I like I like being on this resistance radio. That's pretty cool. I like that you're you're pretty open about that. Let's take that fight to them. Take that terminology to them. Yeah, well, we we resist pretty uh, pretty commonly, but uh, um, I think another factor, though, or two other factors that are that are in this in this mix. Um, our one is that Northrop is not very, the current governor is not very popular. In fact, I think he, he's been very unpopular through most of this uh, pandemic thing. And the other factor yeah, I, is that McAuliffe is a, uh, is, he's really more of a, a Clinton uh, Democrat. Uh, and he, I, I, I couldn't tell you uh, you know, I, I'm pretty aware of politics, but I really couldn't tell you anything that any any political position that he really stands for. It's, it seems to me all personality. Terry well, McCall Terry, that's what he believes in I'm himself. Just, so. I was going to say there is one thing he's very consistent. I should be governor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, and that's about it. But but he's, he does have that he does have that personality and which which is useful and but but you're right he was a Clinton guy he was a Hillary guy and and that's what he's known for I mean he was the bag man for the Clintons he raised all their money he, he I've, I've seen him give the speech I'm the I'm the bag man for the Clintons I raised them all the money they were expensive friends he makes a joke about it well he, he, that's what they were uh, I do think a lot of the Democrats are tired of the Clintons uh, yeah. ready to, to to shed that. Clinton persona, that Clinton baggage. If if enough of them, or at least a few of them, want to shed the Terry McAuliffe baggage, the economy's the, the the environment goes our way, gas is still high, things are not rolling right in in Washington D.C. The national environment turns. We will have a Republican governor, and Terry McAuliffe will be former governor forever of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Mm. Has Doug Wilder uh, appeared anyplace? I haven't seen Governor Wilder um, say anything yet. Man, he's a, he's always a wild card. You never know what he'll do. Um, but I have not seen him weigh into this race as of yet. But uh, I don't know if he will. Yeah, given I, everything that's, that's happened over the last couple years, I don't know the answer to that. be interesting. You never know. I, he's unpredictable, and he's always interesting to see what he has to say. Well, he's he's a very good uh, friend and uh, sponsor for uh, a, a good friend of mine who is now a, a federal judge, and um, and and uh, Wilder, for example, showed up at his uh, at his uh, in uh, what do they call it? Not inauguration. It's not enthronement. <laughs> it's, it's, it was a coronation anyway. And, Swearing uh, in when the judges. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the reason I ask is that we talked last week about the uh, uh, reaching out to the black community for uh, on the Republican candidates, and uh, it seemed to me that if if uh, if uh, I can't I can't see Wilder being a uh, uh, proponent for either. Uh, Northrop or for uh, McAuliffe, and I want to wonder if uh, somebody couldn't uh, talk him into uh, 
coming over and saying a few good words about uh, about the Republican candidate this time. Or even if he just think, stayed I out, think of it, it would be a heck of a news story. Yeah, and I think he's still widely uh, revered as the uh, in the black community. You know, he's the first black uh, governor in America, and uh, and he's pretty conservative, really. Oh, I, I remember he, you know, he said he wouldn't raise taxes, and, and he sure didn't. He kept his word on that. So I've always, I've always remembered that from what twenty some years ago now. Yeah, but uh, you're absolutely right. But it's, it's a, it's that's what that's what's going to make it such an unpredictable race for the Democrats, and make it such an opportunity for conservatives and Republicans. I just think over the last few years, it seemed like everything was going against us. I think. Every, maybe not everything, but a lot of things are going for Republicans. Every, a lot of things are going for well for conservatives this year, or have the potential to. Uh, we'll see how it plays out in the summer and the fall. But gosh, I, I, I like I like where we are now, and uh, I like where the House is. The House candidates, good candidates, diverse candidates, conservative but diverse candidates. And look, uh, I like the fact that we've already got people talking about. I told you, this lady called me today. Wanted to run for Congress next year. We've already got people antsy, ready, fired up to run in 22 for Congress to take the fight to the Democrats. They're not waiting. They're not putting their finger out in the air to see who, you know, where the environment is now. They see what's coming, and they're ready to go. They're ready to fight. They're ready to take the Democrats, and that's what we need. Well, Tom is a pollster in the in the uh, in this crowd, but I've always no. taken the position that. No. Generally speaking, most people vote against something before they vote for somebody. Yep. And um, unless you've got somebody who's massively popular on a personal level, which I don't think Terry McAuliffe is, um, they they really, it's, you know, the thing that gets their attention is when something, something goes wrong in their lives, like, um, you know, Seven dollar a gallon gas, and and, uh, and the pe- people in Houston are uh, wondering about their uh, the green power that uh, left them stranded in a snowstorm and things like that. And I think there's a lot of that that's that's here, and it's even more is coming. Uh, and and yep, Tom, yeah, you right. probably have a comment on that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know. It's been- you know, there's one thing you always tend. You, there are certain things you can't hide, no matter what the, no matter what. You can't hide, you know, the the price of a of your meal or your groceries or gas going up. You can't hide that. If it keeps going up, it's there and it's visible for you to see. And you can't hide uh, increase you know, instability like crime. If you're in a community where, you know, what used to be safe is no longer safe, you can't hide that either. And I think. And these are all the issues that you got. I'll tell you what, Larry, I'll let you say goodnight, and we'll be on our way. Well, thanks again, Tim, for uh, sharing your uh, time and, and expertise with us. And uh, this is uh, the folks from the Resistance Hour saying goodnight, and God bless America. <laughs>